Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode number 55, entitled Braveheart, in which I'll be examining issue number 47. Please stay tuned. So before we dive into this issue, let's quickly run down our creative team. Uh, Chris Claremont's writing, of course, and we have Jackson Geis and Kyle Baker uh, doing the art. Um, and I, for the most part, really do enjoy this art team. I think they do a pretty darn good job. That being said, I, I also would argue that of the artists that have come through this book, um, they're the least, they're, for me, they're the least memorable. Um, and partly that's that when I first read through this when I was younger, I don't even notice, know that I noticed um, these artists. I mean, obviously, I knew there was a change from Leliola and Zinkevich. I, I knew that had occurred. Obviously, you can see that pretty dire- directly. Um, but I don't know that I was um, blown away by anything they put on the page. That being, you know, that said... I look back now, and as I'm trying to be a little more critical, even though I'm not the most uh, brilliant art uh, critic, uh, you know, I think they do a very good job of body language and facial uh, facial expressions. I, th- I think they do a pretty darn good job of that. You know, I, I they're not Zinkevich, they're no McLeod, they're not. Uh, any of the other artists um, that that we've had on this book, but they're a very serviceable, serviceable and talented team. Um, and I think they do a pretty darn good job. I think, actually, uh, the first time I remember seeing Geis's and Baker's work was, I believe, on X Factor. And I think they do a better job here than they did in X Factor. So um, for whatever that's worth. Um, we have Luis Bahalis, and that's um, the wife of Tom Orzechewski, and she's done lettering on this book before, and likelihood she's filling in here because, as we talked about last issue, the Mutant Massacre is going on, and, you know, Orzechewski is on that title, or on those titles, working on those titles. So he's probably overloaded right now. That'd be my guess. And so that's why we're seeing a new letterer right now. Um, <clears throat> uh, Glynis Oliver is our colorist. And we have Ann Nascenti and Jim Shooter um, finishing off our creative team. So not much has changed, which is kind of nice. It's, it's nice to have a consistent creative team. I think the more consistent these teams remain, the better the material that we, the better the work that is produced. That's my argument. And I'm not going to review War Child here right now, um, which is the newest release from Marvel about the New Mutants, uh, the one issue special that was done by Zinkevich and Claremont. And that's enjoyable. I, I did enjoy it. But there are times in that that I feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect between the artist and the writer. Um, and the, the reason... My guess uh, is 
that they just haven't worked together in a while. It's been a, a pretty good while, you know. So I, I think if there is a disconnect there, if there's something that just doesn't feel like it's flowing, which that's what that's how I felt about it. That's not to say I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed the art. I think it's a beautiful book. I enjoyed the story very much. It was a lot of fun. It was fun to have those two working together on a new mutants project. But I think the stuff they did back in the initial run of New Mutants is better. <clears throat> that being said, I, I think that it's it's their unfamiliarity, not having worked together recently, that, that leads to some of the problems I have with that. And they're minor quibbles. So I do want to say that. My point being is that consistency and of of creative teams builds cohesion and makes for much more fluid, flowing stories. That's it. Um, and I felt times that that was jarring. That's my my opinion and my thoughts. And like I said, I do want to try to review that story here in the very near future. So, uh, yeah, then I can really kind of talk about what I, I can get to what I really mean. You know, we can really spend some time uh, pulling that apart. Anyways, let's not dilly-dally. Let's focus on the issue at hand, which is New Mutants 47, my heart for the Highland. So this issue opens with a splash page, and it's an image of Limbo, and we see the New Mutants all laying unconscious. And in the foreground, we have Roberto, who's beginning to come to. He's, you know, thinking about how badly he feels. He's not in great shape. Uh, he looks like he, he's been just walloped. And, uh, you know, what the narrator tells us is that uh, at the last minute, just before they were killed by Mangus, they were teleported to uh, Ileana's uh, magic realm of Limbo. Um, so, yeah, they're all... Alive, it appears, and Roberto's coming too. But everybody looks pretty uh, much unconscious. Uh, we got Sam, Karma, Magma, Rain, uh, Cypher, Danny, Ileana, and Warlock, and as well as uh, uh, Roberto. And as Roberto regains his senses, and is really just trying to figure out what the heck is going on, you know... He doesn't like, remember, Roberto doesn't like to be in limbo. And he's thinking, you know, as bad as he feels and as much as he thinks, you know, it's not a surprise, you know, limbo's a pretty shitty place, um, he should consider himself lucky because if they would have stayed on Earth instead of teleporting here, uh, the Mangus, Warlock's father, would have killed them all. Um, and as he's, you know, regaining his senses and beginning to, you know, get to his feet, a pack of uh, demons approach, and they're talking about all these people being food, and they realize, well, actually, these are friends of their ruler, Ileana. Um, and they take, her, they pick her up and take her off. And Roberto, he's trying to, you know, he, he realizes they're they're going after Liana and he thinks they're probably going to hurt her 
That's his fear. And he tries to transform to Sunspot. Well, there's no sun in limbo. And if we remember back to last issue, Roberto had been pretty much uh, using his strength to carry supplies and move things at the mansion. And um, he pretty he wore himself out. He drained himself completely of his solar energies. Well, by the time they leave the mansion to go look for Shane and Danny, he it's evening. And he has yet to, you know, reabsorb sunlight. And so he is drained still. And he's not able to turn into sunspot. So as he thinks about it, he is just a normal teenage boy. He has no special abilities, no strength, nothing. And so these demons, they pick up Ileana and they carry her off. And he doesn't know where they're going or why they've taken her. Um... And he, he doesn't think that there's anything he can do to stop him. You know, he's just, like like I said, he's just a normal teenage boy. So, as they walk off, and he comes out hiding. He goes to his fellow teammates, and he tries to wake them up. But he gets no response. I mean, he's shaking them, he's calling, you know, he's screaming. Um, and they just will not rouse. He, they are just unconscious. And he realizes he's alone, but he's got to do something. And he thinks about how Ileana is a demon sorceress, so she's probably better off with these demons. They're her own kind. And, but then he thinks, well, maybe they mean to hurt her. And then he's thinking, well, she's also evil, so it would serve her right if they did hurt her. But as he's thinking that, he's also thinking, well, maybe, but she's a, she's a new mutant. And doesn't that count for something? I mean, she's helped the New Mutants multiple times and saved Roberto multiple times. Um, and he thinks, why? You know, if she was just nice, if she was just a nice person, if she was just nice, this would be a lot easier. And I, you know, I want to take a moment to talk. I think about that. You know, because that's directly, you know, the quote. from his thought bubble is why couldn't you be nice Ileana and there's a lot I think to unpack from that statement there's a lot I think unpack from that statement I mean that Um, one I think the idea of nice like Ileana has corruption in her soul so if we talk about Ileana's character, she does have corruption in her soul. She's been, she grew up, she aged seven years in a hell dimension, limbo. She was corrupted. Her soul was partly corrupted by Belasco, right? She does use black magic, which we've been hinting at that it's been further corrupting her soul. Um, there's been other incidents that have made that corruption worse. But, nice, like, this idea of nice, what does, you know, what does he mean by that? Like, Ileana has, like, he thought about already, helped them multiple times. She's helped save her teammates multiple times. She is a teenage girl with teenage needs and interests. 
she at times can be curt, uncaring, um, stuck up, cruel. But some of those traits Roberto's character possesses. You know, and yes, there's been some instances where through events, Ileana's dark child persona has been pulled forth and put, brought to the front, brought to bear in a very similar way that Jack Wayne would take over Legion's body and, and control it and manipulate it. Ileana's dark child persona has come to the fore and taken control and manipulated and, and controlled Ileana. And, and to this point, I would argue that Ileana and dark, her dark child persona are not the same entity. I mean, they exist in the same body, and possibly as her soul becomes more and more corrupted, they are the same person. But at, to this point, like when she is not this dark, when she is not fully corrupted or reverted to this dark child persona, she has. She is their friend, and she does what she can do to help them. She is ruthless. She is ruthless. That is something that Ileana's character does possess, this ruthlessness. Like if it came to killing two people to save the rest of the world, she would make that choice in a heartbeat. There are teammates. She does have teammates who would say two lives a hundred lives are two lives, it doesn't matter. No life will be sacrificed for this, for the goal we're trying to achieve. So there's a ruthlessness and a pragmatism in Ileana. There's also a desire. I've talked about this too before. In my opinion, there's a desire in Ileana's character to, to be whatever she's expected to be. So when it's her brother, she desires to be this innocent good, perfect, ideal version of herself. This, the vision that he sees of her, this innocent snowflake, childlike sister that he's doted after. Um, she has that same kind of persona for her parents. She, she has a different personality that she presents to Kitty and her fellow new mutants. Uh, which is this t- fun-loving teenage girl, um, interested in boys, interested in shopping. Um, you know, but she also has this magic demon sorceress side that she presents to the demons in Limbo. So she's definitely playing different roles for different people different in different places. But... This idea of her being nice, it's just such a weird thing. I mean, Roberto, we do know, it's well established that Roberto is extremely afraid of Limbo. He's extremely afraid of Ileana. He is scared of her. So, the concept of nice, though, is such a weird statement. It does make sense that it comes from Roberto, but um, I just... I would argue that she is, there is, it's not, the way that's phrased, the way he's thinking about it is incorrect. Um, there's, it's such a too simplistic uh, a viewpoint, too too simple, too, uh, it's more complex. And, and I don't think that Roberto likes things to be complex. He thinks, sees things 
in very simplistic black and white ways. And complexity uh, gives him trouble, for sure. Uh, so anyways, he does decide to go after. He tries to track down Ileana. He, um, you know, she's their only escape. If, if they kill, if the demons kill her, how are they going to get out of limbo? That's one of his concerns. And, you know, the idea that she has helped them before, you know, has spurred him into action. So he does, uh, he's going to go after her. And he starts thinking about what what's he going to do if he catches up to him. And here's another great bit of Roberto here. And so he's, he's this, I'm just going to read these thought balloons. Suppose I catch the demons. What then? Worry about that when the time comes. I'm brilliant. I'll think of something. And like, and then he, he jump, he's jumping into this puddle of water and he screams. So I, I assume it's because it's cold, but I, I don't know. Um, but it's just it's such a perfect uh, moment, right? Like he's so self-absorbed and so self-obsessed and so uh, just headstrong and stubborn and like... Of course he'll figure it out because he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? The greatest person since sliced bread. He's just cocky and overconfident, and this is Roberto to a T. He'll figure it out because he's brilliant. You know, don't worry about a plan. I'll figure it out. Um, I will give him credit for doing I, what I would conceive is the right consider the right thing. He does go after his friend, um, and he and he wants to help her. There is a desire to rescue her, to help her. He thinks she's in danger, so he he finally does catch up to the demons. And Ileana is laid out on a table, and they have a sword, and they're all circling her. And he, you know, he's got just this little stick, and he's like, "Well, what's the plan?" Well, he doesn't have a plan. And he thinks, like, what would what would Thomas Magnum do? And for anybody that doesn't know who Thomas Magnum is, Tom Selleck played this character, uh, Magnum P.I. He was a detective on uh, in Hawaii, and yeah, I mean, he's just it's an action series from the '80s, and and uh, that's Roberto's guy, and you know, he's gonna just wing it, kind of, and. Uh, He'll improv spectacularly, and, you know, he'll have advantage of surprise. Uh, and uh, Sim catches him. Ileana's basically right-hand demon. Um, picks him up and uh, and he lets these demons stab Ileana in the chest with this sword. Um <clears throat> and Ileana's fine. She's all right. She's It was, in fact, her soul sword, and he's trying to figure out what's going on, and Sim tells him, magical realm, magical sword, magical spell. Ileana says, magical restoration. And she tells Sim that she's proud of him, the demons, for having, you know, done this. Uh, she asks what Bobby's doing there, and Sim says, well, I assume he was trying to rescue you. And for Bobby's part, he doesn't say much. He is thinking, though, how much more beautiful, how, you know, how beautiful uh, Ileana looks right now. And 
it makes her all the more terrifying to him. And she tells him, well, you know, it's really sweet, and that she didn't know that he cared, you know, enough to try to save her, to say, you know, prevent these demons from killing her. Um, And he tells her it wasn't a big deal. He would have done this for any of the new mutants. And she tells him, and, you know, she responds, what matters, chum, is that you did it for me. And this this sequence, I, I I think this sequence alone, for me, makes this issue worth it, um, because this has been simmering for a while, this this absolute terror, and really distrust and dis at times, outright dislike and disgust, Roberto, bears towards Ileana, and for him to really overcome that and you know, go to her aid and try to protect her is a huge moment. And I I think it's super important for these two characters in terms of their growth. Uh, in, in terms of Ileana having any support, really, uh, you know, Sam's pretty good about just giving her the benefit of the doubt and being a teammate to her. Danny and her have been close but others have definitely struggled with her. And so for Roberto have this kind of... To make these decisions in terms of Ileana, I think it's a huge, huge moment for his character. And it's a good moment, I think, of allowing Ileana to be accepted into the team even further. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where that ends up. And so these two are going to go back and they're going to help the rest of the new mutants so with the rest of the team awake um they begin having a discussion and nobody's comfortable in limbo and roberto of course as usual makes that point clear to liana that like they need you know and so she in an effort to make her friends her teammates more comfortable she manifests a facsimile facsimile of xavier's mansion um kind of like the library to t- so they can discuss things there and you know she also makes a table with food on it and she asks if that's better and everybody kind of tells her no it's not any better this is like super creepy it's also really cold and she tells them that for a while now her spells have had a sort of demonic twist um so it's that corruption is becoming more and more prevalent is what that appears like to me um that she is lo- she is losing more and more of her innocence um and and becoming more and more corrupted by the dark magic she wields um so uh she asks if they want her to try again and mirage says no let's let's just let this rest this will work um everybody's really creeped out as it is and Wolfsbane's kind of scouring. She's reverted to a transitional wolf form, that that human uh, wolf hybrid, uh, werewolf-like uh, transformation she has, and that psychic rapport they share. Uh, Rain and Danny it really allows her to kind of read those those feelings, those emotions pretty clearly from from Rain. Um, 
Sam mentions it's cold, like I said, and magma can take care of that. She she turns into her living magma lava form and and says that she can light and heat the room, but uh, that since our way from Earth, and she depri- she derives her powers from the Earth. That's how she recharges herself. She's essentially a lot like Roberto, that if she's away from Earth for too long, her powers will deplete. Her battery will run dry, just like Roberto's will. And so she'd have to be back on Earth to recharge her powers. And um, they all know that's not safe. Well, Ileana says, and they ask Ileana if they're safe there, and she says they are, but they're not sure you know, Mangus is followed. He he, you know, he can destroy stars. He's he can follow and and his he's been tracking Warlock forever. Like what, what? Why does she think that this place is any safer than anywhere else? Eventually, he will find them, no matter where they are. Um. And Warlock, he's freaking out about Mangus. Uh, or he's so maybe so terrified. I, I, let's let's. He's so scared of his father, and as they're talking about him, this fear—it's just so pure and overwhelming and forceful. It it, it apparently bypassed Dan Danny Moonstar's shield, Mage's psychic shield, and she manifests this image of Warlock's father, and Warlock just shrivels. He kind of sinks into the ground. Cypher and Rain try to help him, you know, telling him, you know, they go to him to try to make him feel better, telling him, you know, it's going to be okay, they're going to stick together, and he says, no, it'd just be easier, you know, if you just teleport me back to Earth, he'll kill me, and then as soon as I'm dead, <clears throat> you guys will be safe. And, you know, Rain, she says, no way, you know, like, that might be true, but that's not right. That's not, that might be the logical course, but that's not the right course. And they're a team and they're all going to stick together. For Mirage, she's really shooken up by this. Like, she hasn't lost control of her powers like that since probably issue number one. When she manifests those visions of Vietnam from Shane Khoi Man, Karma. And she is just disgusted and horrified and just, ugh, I mean, overwhelmed by this. And she's really shook up, and uh, Sam tries to comfort her. Things calm down, and Sam and Danny both tell Warlock that they're used to winning impossible fights. Uh, Shani sa- Danny says she's Cheyenne, um, and she she's... You know, that's that's her people's stock and trade, is winning these hopeless fights. And Sam agrees, you know, he's a, his, his family fought for the Confederacy. And um, Ileana, she just wants to notice if anybody's got any plans. Uh, but f- let's let's talk real quick about this panel where... Danny's talking about her heritage, and then Sam does as well. You know, I I, I would say that I don't know. You know, for sure, I I would. You know, I I've seen some comments online, um, 
you know, what is the definition of winning, I guess? Uh, for sure, Danny's Native American people in this country have resisted. Um, most tribes are on reservations now. Um, it's, it's, you know, they, they work with the federal government. They've, you know, they didn't prevent their lands from being overrun. They didn't fighting. They didn't stop, you know, you know, stop the federal government from putting them on reservations. But they also signed treaties and put themselves there. Whether it's because, you know, for whatever the reason was, whether they thought they got a good deal, whether it was just to preserve the lives of the younger, the women and children, you know, that the fighting was hopeless, that if they would have continued to fight, they would have been wiped out. Whatever the reason, tribes were placed on these reservations. And, you know, they've continued. I mean, their culture continues to persist persist to this day, even in the face of policies that were being forwarded by the United States government and Christian missionaries, uh, religious groups, um, philanthropists and wealthy, you know, all this effort in the late 80s, 1800s was, and early 1900s was placed on trying to assimilate Native Americans with the idea that their culture and way of life and potentially even their just everything that was Native American would just poof, disappear. So, in terms of, you know, standing in the face of a hopeless situation and winning, I, I would argue that Danny's not wrong. Like, in terms of the idea that Cheyenne culture and way of life and uh, beliefs and practices um, and society continues to persist in the United States within the United States, I think is true. And I would argue that 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 in a lot of ways is a victory because there was a lot of effort put into trying to make sure that didn't happen. So that being said, let's move on to what Sam said. Now, Sam, I got a lot of trouble with this. It, it, it gives me a lot of, a lot of trouble. Um, and a lot of people have different viewpoints. There's, there's, there's a school of thought um, that the Civil War wasn't about slavery and it, you know, whatever. I'm not going to expound that. I don't believe it. Right? The whole notion of states' rights is based on the state's right to choose whether it's a slave state or a free state. Like, so it's about slavery. The sectional divide of this country divided along states that had slavery and no longer had slavery. And by 1862, Lincoln emancipated the slaves. And so, if nothing else, in 1862, it was definitely about slavery. So, Sam comes in with this pride about being a Confederate you know, a distant relative of the Confederate, you know, soldiers and and that they were fighting a hope lost cause in this hopeless situation. Well, 
the Confederacy did not win. And if we want to do what we did in terms of, if we want to look at it in a similar way that we looked at uh, the Cheyenne victories, you know, and how their culture persisted, we can certainly do that with Sam's statement of the Confederacy and the Confederate soldiers. But I don't think I'm going to like what I'm going to see, what we're going to, what I think we would see if we're going to say, well, it lived on and, you know, we, well, yes, they lost the war, but what, well, the culture persists. What culture? Are we talking about Nathan Bedford Forrest and the Ku Klux Klan? Are we talking about lynchings and race, you know, the racial issues in the South? Are we talking about that? Is that what he's talking about? I would sure hope not. I would sure hope not. That being said, that being said, there is a line, and I don't get to choose where that line is. I know where it exists for me, personally. And if I'm studying the Civil War, if I'm reading about Civil War battles, like I just recently read a book about a Civil War general, a Confederate Civil War general, Braxton Braggs. And, you know, there are other officers, officers that are more uh, highly recognized and thought of, like Robert E. Lee. Can you read those can you read about the Civil War, study the Civil War, and admire his mili- his general, the, uh, his qualities as a military leader, separate from his qualities as a slaveholder and a man who fought for the institution of slavery? I think it can be done, but I do think it's something I would hope that people would be aware of and be willing to look at. That's just my personal opinion. So, I have some trouble with the idea that he's citing Confederacy. You know, maybe he's just taking pride in his family's heritage, and that yes, my you know my my family fought in for in wars, and you know even when it was likely that we wouldn't win, and maybe that's the broader statement that they're talking about. Maybe they're not even talking about the actual act of winning, being victorious, but but fighting even when things. Not just giving up, not just rolling over, but fighting even in the face of hopeless, a winless situation, right? Standing up for what's right because it's the right thing to do. So, that's been pulled apart. You know, let me know what you think. That's my read on, the, on, that, on that panel in particular. If you have different thoughts or ideas, please uh, drop me a line or, you know, contact the podcast. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Um, so yeah, Ilian wants to know if anybody's got any plans, but guess what? The floor erupts, and guess who should arrive? A giant splash page of Magus, and he has tracked them to Limbo. He's in Limbo, and our team's in trouble. Magus rips up through the floor, and the very next page, there's, there's this really amazing splash page of of Magus, and... He is massive. He is enormous and techno-organic, just like Warlock, but, you know, just 
huge, just this huge mass. He takes up most of the page, and everything else looks teeny in comparison to him. And uh, he, it's it's a really awesome page, really a great page. Uh, I do like how Geis has has drawn the Magus here. Um, Magus, uh, a couple things happen here that are really important. Uh, the, the, the New Mutants do fight him, and it does not go well. So I do want to point that out. Rain, she goes to defend Warlock, even though she's not going to be any, really any help. Uh, the Magus, he... he uh, the demons, uh, Ileana's demons, go to fight him, right, to defend Ileana. And he just, he converts them to techno, you know, techno-organic uh, beings, and then he drains their life form, life force from them. Um, Danny, she uses her powers and figures out what scares him most, and it's Warlock, obviously, his son. And they have Karma try to possess him, and she is able to do that, but not for very long. But that's relevant because Ileana only wanted her to possess him to buy them some time so she could teleport them all out of Limbo. And to any place, anywhere other than Limbo, as far away from Magus as possible. So she teleports them in time and space. So we take a quick break from the New Mutants here, and we see what's happening back at the mansion. Um, Moira, she is you know, exhausted. She's been working for days. She's pretty much been living on coffee, sandwiches, and a few catnaps here and there. She has been working nonstop since being brought to the mansion in the last issue uh, to try to save the lives of these mutants who were uh, attacked, the survivors of this mutant massacre. Um, and for anyone that isn't aware, they were attacked by the Marauders, uh, a group of vicious human mutants whoever created by uh put together organized by uh mr sinister um anyways moira is you know exhausted she's really tired and feels old you know and uh the new mutants on top of all this on top of the, the Morlocks being injured, nobody knows what's happened to the mutants. They're missing. And she has adopted Rain Sinclair, so, you know, she's worried about Rain as well. She's got a Polaroid picture of her and Rain hugging. It looks like they were out on a picnic. Um, and so she's looking at that. She is... You know, she's hoping... For the best, she hopes that Rain's okay, but she's afraid she isn't. And Magneto, he enters the kitchen. And, you know, he he sets the table for Moira and tells her, you know, she should relax and have a nice meal at the table. You know, it's it's... You know, it's important that they, you know both eat like even if Moira she says to him that she's not hungry you know they need to eat because they have a whole bunch of people relying upon them um and he you know Magneto goes to the fridge to begin making something to eat and he's looking at the food and he's uh talking about how it's pretty much just junk food and uh 
he wonders how the new mutants can eat that food and still be so healthy. Um, he, he wants to just toss all this food away. You know, he's talking about them like they're here, like they're all right. And Moira, she's like, you talk about them like they're still alive. You know, she's kind of become, she's kind of lost hope that they're alive. You know, with everything that's happened with the new, the mutant massacre and with humanity, hatred of mutants, it's just so, you know, and then nobody's heard from them. It's so likely that they're dead. And Magneto, he looks out the window and he, and he tells her that this bond exists between Brightwind and Magic, or Mirage and Danny. And if, if she was dead, Brightwind would have left. And he talks, you know, he talks about how these young mutants have given him hope when he's lived a life of despair. And since becoming the headmaster at the school, he he's really embraced this idea of hope. He doesn't want to cast away this 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 the idea of hope at all. Like he he's just really I think the thing I like about Magneto most um, is that the youth, mutant youth, has taught him, has given him a reason to try a different approach in terms of mutant relations with human with with humanity. He, you know, as a survivor of of the Holocaust, his characters. Um, view on this, I think, is just superb. I, I, I buy it a hundred percent. You know, like his life is is coming to an end. He's you know older. He's certainly not as old as he was, but he's definitely older. And and if it was just that all the mutants in the world were, you know, middle aged men and women or older men and women, then what? Whatever you know. Then then any means of uh, dealing with the humans would be on the table, but with the idea that there's other young mutants who have to live in this world when he is gone, he wants to leave better than he had, right? Like, he wants better for the new mutants than he ever had. So how does he do that? By, by training them, by giving them skills, by helping them master their powers and then working in coordination with humanity instead of against humanity like i totally buy this transformation of his of his personality and him becoming more of a gray or good character like i just really 100% buy it like it makes sense to me and the idea that these students as much as they have an adversarial relationship as much as they butt heads as much as he feels like they don't listen when he is just trying to convey what is best for them as much as that frustrates him and angers him he he cares about these kids i, I dare to say that he loves them you know he does want to leave better for the for young mutant gener the, the younger mutant generation than was there for his generation and I think that's an admirable quality, and I think that's an amazing quality. And I also like that 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 Magneto has yet to figure out how to convey that in any way that the new mutants find um, palatable or can understand.
right? Because every time he tries to assist them, they end up butting heads and he becomes angry and they distrust and dislike him all the more. Um, and I think it's an amazing dynamic uh, that has been created here because event, it, it's, it's honestly a dynamic that cannot maintain and we will see it begin to deter- deteriorate and uh, um, resentment form and Magneto will begin to see that he believe, I think, that he has no ability. He can't help the new mutants um, in the way that he wished he could. And I, I just, I, I love it. I just really like the way his character's grown. But he, for now, believes that the new mutants are okay. And he, he has faith, the hope, and belief that they will be okay. So we find the new mutants, they've teleported to Earth, um, or what appears to be Earth. Uh, and they're trying to figure out where they are, and, you know, Sam recognizes the suns, and the, they're in the northern hemisphere, in a place that looks a lot like Earth. And Ileana, she explains that when they teleported, you know, she just got them to safety that's all she could do so when they fell they landed just hodgepodge all over the place you know she hopes everybody's okay um you know and sam tells her she did good you know they got she got him out of there and that's what really matters um Ileana's pretty fearful for what's happening in limbo and so as all this is unfolding and, and humans are getting their bearings they hear the beat of hooves. Um, it's riders, and it's lots of them. And they're, you know, charging towards... They're coming towards the New Mutants. Um, and a fight ensues, and the New Mutants intercede. And what they notice is there are knights. It looks like Scottish um, warriors and uh, English knights. And the English knights kill one of the Scotsmen, and... That's when the new mutants intercede. Roberto and Rain both attack. Um, and Sam, basically all of the new mutants get pulled into this. Um, and it's not too important what all uh, unravels here. But what one of the parts that's really important is um, Ileana. Uh, th- there's this scene between Ileana and Shane. So uh, Shane Coy Man, and they're talking over this, the, the dead uh, Scottish warrior, and they realize he's really young. He's probably their age. And Liliana says, in response to Shane, which is a little odd, because Shane, she grew up in Vietnam. She's seen the horrors there. She taught, you know, she when Danny pulled those thoughts from her head, Vietnam was a horrible place, so she knows the realities of war um, and probably seen her fair share of death of kids. Uh, but Ileana explains to Shane, and really more to us, the readers, I think this is kind of a, the moral of this story, uh, you don't have to be an adult to be killed, Karma, or to be a, or be a hero. So everyone, anybody can be killed. You don't have to be anything special. You don't have to be an adult. You don't have to be a hero. People die. Um, it's it's part of life. And this has always been kind of Ileana's thing. 
Um, and in this case, I think she's right. It's, you know, and you know, I, I, yeah. So that happens, and as these two are talking, Doug calls their attention. There's a horse, a, a rider riding towards them, and Ileana opens a portal to limbo, thinking, "Oh, she'll just have the rider pulled into limbo, and then she'll bring him back. He'll be so scared he'll ride off, won't won't bother him anymore." That's not what happens. As soon as she opens the portal, these tendrils appear out of it, and they're they're the ta- they're they're uh, similar to warlocks. They're techno organic tendrils, and they trans they turn him in they they use the transmode virus to turn him into techno organic being, and then pull the life form force from him, and he crumbles to dust. Um, and Ileana's super worried about what's happened to Limbo. Um, by the time the fighting's done, the new mutants, uh, are met by one of the riders that they saved, and it turns out it's Robert the Bruce, and he, you know, he doesn't really understand, they have English tongues, um, they sound like they're English, but they help them, so they appear to be friendly, but he saw them using their mutant powers, and he's not sure, he thinks they might be, you know, hell spawns or devils or something and, and they assure him that they're human beings too and he does invite them back to their castle and like I said it's Robert the Bruce the most famous king of Scotland um, and that's who they interceded on to help um, yeah so he's going to take him back take all the new mutants back to his castle so the new mutants like I said are back with Robert the Bruce at his castle and and he's got to keep running that's what he basically tells them that he really appreciated their help and he's all a lot would would love to have them continue along with him um but he he must keep running because the english they're going to catch up to him and the best thing he can do for scotland is is flee because live to fight another day and eventually he will fight um so aside, after they've talked with Robert the Bruce, the mutants are discussing what to do, trying to figure out what to do. And, and Roberto's plan would, would love to stay and fight. He, he sees it as heroic, brave, you know, <clears throat> just everything Roberto's about, right? Being this, this great warrior and a land far ago, you know, doing what's right for the right reasons. It's, this is straightforward and easy. He knows the outcome, right? Because this has already happened. And so he would revel in this role because everything is a role for Roberto. Part of, part of why he's so attracted to Thomas Magnum, this TV character, this TV hero, hero, a scripted hero that always does right and always is victorious. And here's an opportunity where he could play the role of a hero, a warrior, a true hero, and do great good and know that the outcome would be for the best. Um <clears throat> The others aren't so sure. They think that, one, it could change history, and it might be damaging to their future. And that's not something they should be messing with. And the other part is, if Magus followed them to Limbo, there's no reason to believe that he couldn't follow them to there. And what would happen if he arrived in the past? He would do irreparable damage to, to Earth, for sure destroying whatever future that existed for them. Um... And Roberto, he's not one who wants to run, but, you know, 
Robert the Bruce tells him that that's what he's got to do. And eventually, when the time is right, he will lead an army and, and rise up against the British. But for now, the right thing to do is flee. Um, <clears throat> what, what ends up happening is uh, Warlock, first Roberto, being sold on having to return to Earth and, and facing Mangus, he offers to go explore Limbo. Um, to make sure that Magus, see if Magus is there. Uh, because if he is, then they, they shouldn't teleport back there. But if he's gone, then they can teleport back home. Well, Ileana doesn't want to let him do that. She, she says Limbo's her domain. She should be the one to do it. But Warlock insists. Uh, he, he says it should be his duty. Um, partly because Sunspot is, he, he went to Limbo and he, and he's, you know, you know, was brave enough to to face Limbo, and that seems to be what the New Mutants do. Even when things are scary, even when things seem impossible, they stand up uh, and do what's right. Um, and if 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 Warlock dis- tells them if he can't face his father, if he can't go and uh, scout Limbo and do what's right and face this fear, then he has no right to be called a new mutant or their friend. And so it's agreed that he will do it. And Ileana tells him that she'll leave the portal open for him, so he should hurry back. And as he goes through, Warlock goes through, Ileana tells Roberto that the saddest, I'm just going to read what she says to him, the saddest part is we'd be better off if his dad is there waiting for him. And Roberto's horrified by this statement. And she fires back that that's her true nature. And shortly after that, uh, Warlock pops his head through and tells him everything's, the coast is clear. It's no no contact, no no magus. Um, And so they're going to teleport back. Um, Before we close out this issue, I do want to touch on something uh, now that we talked about Ileana's reaction to Warlock going through her portal. Um, Doug had asked Robert the Bruce why he wasn't afraid of them when they had these amazing powers. Why didn't he think they were demons or worse? Um, and, and Robert the Bruce responds, True, Douglas, but any hell Hades spawn able to assume so young and innocent and noble a sh- seeming deserves a seeming deserves our respect rather than our fear. For that demon has become more human than most men. I wanted to point this out because I think this is kind of what we've established for Ileana. Um, I think in a lot of ways, what he says here rings true for Ileana, right? Roberto is so terrified of her. But she does present this very innocent, childlike, good, innocent, like this outward appearance and at times behavior of this innocent, pure child, teenager. And in a lot of ways, she is very human. She has fears and difficulties just like all of her teammates, except for when she makes statements and really points out the obvious. What everyone 
has thought at one point or another, she is definitely ridiculed more significantly. When she, oftentimes she seems to voice what everybody else is thinking, and as a result, she takes their ridicule. Like, it is not the first time that somebody has thought that it would just be, be would be a lot easier if Warlock had faced his father. It would spare their lives. Warlocks thought it, and Rain even said that was a logical choice. She didn't say it was the right thing to have happen, but it was logical. Um, and Ileana's just saying, you know, it's sad, but if that were to have happened, it would be what was best for them. You know, they would be better off if that happened, if, if his father was waiting for him in limbo, because if he was dead, then they wouldn't be in trouble. They wouldn't be in danger anymore. You know, and I, I'm not so sure that, like, she's super, like, it's it's probably not the appropriate time to say that, but I don't think it's anything others haven't thought. Um, so I think it's human nature. When she says it's nature, it's, it's her nature, I, I think that's human nature to be self-centered and self-concerned, and fears typically result from that. I think it's a very human, a very natural response. And maybe one she shouldn't have voiced out loud, but certainly probably something her other teammates have thought. So I really, really enjoy this part where Robert the Bruce talks about the demon becoming more human than most men. Because I think in a lot of ways, Ileana fits that bill. Um, but she is always trying to fit into these roles that are expected of her and she just doesn't fit um, I've talked about that before and uh, talked about it briefly earlier in this episode so um, yeah just kind of some interesting thoughts and something that I thought that was kind of interesting um, so yeah uh, Newman's are preparing to leave Robert the Bruce rides off uh Turns out Rain has given her belt to him because he gave her a necklace. And Roberto, he, he watches as the Bruce, Robert the Bruce, leaves. And he tells everybody he feels like a coward. Um, even if they are doing what's right to go back to face Magus. And Rain, she says... You shouldn't despair, Roberto. When all looked bleakest for the Bruce, he sat upon rainy night in a ho hovel and watched a spider try to spin her web. Time and again she tried, poor wee thing. Time and again she failed. But she never gave up hope. And finally she completed her web. And the king thought if a spider could have, have such determination, could a man have less? And that, that moment, she explains to them, is how he rallied his courage and masked, you know, took, you know, got through this, these dark times. That, that moral, that, that, that story. And it's what allowed him to rally his troops to defeat the English. Um, and that's kind of the response. Like, they just have to... Well, the odds may seem impossible, 
all you can do is work and be determined and do your best and and see what happens um so that's the that's the wrap up of this story robert the bruce is an interesting choice um he doesn't overwhelm the story which is good i think uh it's a weird choice especially considering by the time this issue came out braveheart hadn't been made yet um so it, it is weird likelihood not very many people would have known who robert the bruce was uh but i I enjoy what we get from it. I think these are some really good moments of character development, especially for Eliana and Roberto. But I think we get this nice moment with Rain as well. Um, some courage and some face and some strength in our Scottish heritage that was, I think, missing um, because of Reverend Craig and everything that had happened to her as a teenage girl in Scotland. So I, I think in a lot of ways this story does have some really good uh, influence for certain characters, some very good moments of character development for certain characters. Um, so yeah, overall, I, I do enjoy this story quite a bit. Um, there are some problem spots. You know, we talked about uh, uh, the Cheyenne and the, and the Confederacy comments, but I think those, depending on how you look at that, can be made to make sense. Um, but yeah, I think overall a really interesting story. And uh, next week we will be diving into issue 48 entitled Ashes, the Heart, um, in which we will see the conclusion, I believe, of the New Mutants run-in with Magus. So yeah, we look forward to doing that. Um, until next week, keep reading those comics. James explores the new mutants, as is always, recorded in Des Moines, Iowa. It is produced by myself, you can see the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at ExploreNewMutant via email at ExploreTheNewMutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores the New Mutants. Um, another great way to reach the podcast is through the Anchor Messenger service that allows you, the listeners, to record minute-long messages, which that are sent directly to me. I can then uh, play those directly in my episode, which is a really awesome way for you, the listeners, to become engaged, uh, ask questions, um, comment, or just add you know, your twist um, to certain things you see in these issues. So I'd you know, highly encourage you to do that, um, and I look forward to listening to your questions, comments, or uh, thoughts about uh, these comics. Um, so until next time, keep reading those comics.